Welcome to Conversations with Healers, a podcast and video interview series that features intimate, soulful, and cozy conversations with self-healers and healers. Healer to healer, we dive into all aspects of self-healing and healing and being and becoming a healer. I am Damla Aktekin. I am a healer and the host of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. If you are new to this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe so that you can be aware of new episodes. I also invite you to visit adropofom.com, A-D-R-O-P-O-F-O-M.com, where I share a lot of free resources for self-healing and healing, and you can take a free quiz to find out what your energetic wounds are and how they may show up in your life. Discovering what your wounds are is the first step in healing them. I hope you enjoy this episode. There is one more thing I would like to share with you before you listen to this episode. I created a wonderful container to help you heal your energetic wounds and activate the infinite light and potential of your inner children. It is a crystal energy healing membership called Chakra Bliss Vault. Every month you will receive three new crystal healing sessions. Plus, you'll immediately have access to my entire energy healing recording library when you sign up. The membership is really affordable and will continue to be so. You can find out more about it at adropofom.com, A-D-R-O-P-O-F-O-M.com. I invite you to make healing your energetic wounds and connecting with your inner children a priority and invest in your well-being by becoming a Chakra Bliss Vault member. Hello everyone, this is Damla Aktikin with A Drop of Om. And today I have with me Patty Lennon, who I'm excited to connect with. Hi, Patty, and welcome. Hello, I'm excited too. <laughs> yes. So uh, let me do a little mini introduction of you. Patty is a best-selling author, uh, coach with a master's in psychology, podcast host of the Space for Magic podcast, keynote, spe- keynote speaker, and the one I'm most excited to talk about, the founder of The Receiving School. And her latest book is Make Space for Magic. Welcome, Patty. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, what I love starting these conversations with is to, to understand your story, the way it comes out today of what it took for you or what led you to here in this moment, doing what you do. So, you know, there's the short version of that. There's the four hour version of that. But I think the, um, what led me is when I was a small child, you know, a lot of times when you're trying to figure out as an adult, what you, what you should do for a living, um, what your path is, they'll say like, what did you do when you were a kid? Like, what was it that you played at? Like, what was it that you dreamed of? And my earliest 
like career aspiration was to be a missionary. I was raised in a Christian Catholic home and it's not where I identify now, but that's my context. And we had missionaries in our family. So I had a close personal relationship to what that looked like. And their job was to go and, as I understood it, help people who didn't know Jesus exists, know that Jesus existed and that Jesus loved them. And to my little self, the idea that um, people did not know that Jesus loved them. And at the time, Jesus was my concept of the divine. You know, that was sort of the, so in other words, that people didn't know that the divine had their back, that the divine was there for them that broke my heart. And so the idea of going out and helping people know that to me was the the penultimate, you know, career. And then I like, you know, went through life and got society's goals, found out about that thing called money, became a banker, um was originally intending to be a politician, became a banker, and then all of a sudden had a full circle moment where I was really doubting you know, was I living up to what God wanted for me, what the divine wanted for me being a banker? And a colleague said to me, um, how do I not, that I was confiding in, that was very spiritually oriented, you know, how did I know, or how did I not know that God wanted me in the rooms that I was in? Like, why was I deciding that what I was doing wasn't, you know, spiritual work? And I was like, well, you know, because we push paper and, you know, we're all about making money. And she was like, yeah, but when you're in a room, people treat each other differently. They're they're more loving and they're more kind to each other. And that wasn't something I had any awareness of. I was very type A. I was very much about, you know, making goals and making it happen. But there was always a source of kindness within me, you know, personally. And that seemed to you know, affect people and her like making me aware of that suddenly drastically changed my path. And I started devoting my time into that over the other business goals. And one thing led to another. And, you know, we're almost, I guess we're 18 years after that point and I'm doing something completely different. So I'm back to, you know, really hoping to help people understand how much the divine loves them and connect to that source of love. Um, but it was that one moment that, that shifted that trajectory. And I, I truly believe that every single person is capable of hearing one thing about themselves reflected back to them that opens them up to their purpose and, you know, the value that they have and to really experience the value they have beyond productivity and, external goals. That's that um, makes does that make sense? That's beautiful. What it reminds me of is I come from a corporate background too. And I used to in my most desperate days, because I was desperate in a corporate environment where all we were doing was chase money, like you said, or go from client meeting to meeting, which didn't feel like was meaningful to me. My solution was every morning as I went to to my job, I said, um, I would talk to the divine and say, just let me be of service to just one person today, at least one person. And that person could be me. And that changed everything that allowed me to actually move through the end of my, 
my job into into doing other things like you said there was a um, more seamless transition there things became more clear and I love that your friend gifted you that insight something that you haven't seen yourself and that you were open to receiving that at that time however much you were able to which brings me to um what is receiving for Mm. you yeah um I think the easier way to explain receiving is to to explain its opposite because its opposite is much more real for most of us so the opposite of receiving is resistance and resistance is the experience that we have this low level of stress that we have to keep things away like uncomfortable things or difficult situations we have to manage people we have task lists that we have to manage and you know receiving is being in a state of flow where what is meant to come to you comes and what is meant to go goes and you you feel stable inside that experience that you feel as safe receiving as you do giving and that's the opposite of what we're taught as children at least in the western world um that giving is good producing is good receiving back is selfish and so that's what receiving is it's all receiving it's receiving everything that is coming towards us and then choosing what to keep and what to let pass us by. I think I want to understand your personal journey through this a little bit more in the sense that um, you mentioned as a child, you were wanting to give this information that this type of love and comfort that you were feeling inside, that was what you wanted to give and i'm i'm also thinking that that was also your way of being in the receiving end of that sort of being in connection with that force and then you mentioned going into the business world where you're receiving all this money and recognition and all the career goals and at the same time you're giving what i understand is what your friend mentioned love Mm-hmm. Even as you're doing the type A things you mentioned, you're in the meeting room and you're giving love. So what led you to understand that? What was your most pronounced resistance that you came into contact with? And then what led you to understand that this is something you want to dive deeper into? Well, your reframing or returning to me what I said sounds makes paints my life as way softer and more like flowy than it like was in real life. Um, I always had a deep faith. So I was always able to receive that. But from a small age, I always felt like if I was going to make something happen, it was on my shoulders. I really didn't understand that the divine would help me accomplish things right? It was, I felt safer knowing the divine loved me, but I never quite felt like I was living up to what would make me good at whatever it was. So if I got the A, 
in school, it was, why didn't I have the A plus? If I looked around my home and this was the source that a lot of people originally create their receiving wounds is, you know, my parents were wonderful people, deeply loving, but they had a lot on their plate. We had um, three senior citizens that lived in our house. So my mom took care of my grandfather, my great aunt, my great uncle. I had two siblings and a cousin who lived with us. Um, my mom had a lot on her plate. My dad had a business and twice his business partners embezzled all the money from him. So not once, but twice this happened during my childhood. So there was a lot of feeling like there wasn't enough of my parents to go around. So as the oldest, I always focused on how can I make my needs small? How can I require the least from the people around me? Because I didn't feel like it was safe to need. And then I was good at it. I was a natural student. I was, I could figure things out. So the more that a person does that, the more society reflects back to them that they're good because of it. You know, like when I took care of something without needing my parents' help, they were like, oh, that's wonderful. You know, where my, my siblings need it more, you know? And so then my ego, and this happens to everyone, the more we do things society approves of is the more our ego gets like attached, right? So I grew up thinking what made me good was what I call toxic independence, inability to allow in help. And then when I got to banking, it was similar. I would solve problems, right? I would swoop in and make it happen. But inside I was, I needed support. Like I was exhausted. I was fatigued, you know, and I didn't really connect to this concept of receiving fully until years later, after I left banking, I had started my business. Two things happened. Um, I started my business exactly the same day my husband was let go and was out of work for two years. So I left banking, left this big income. My husband and I both had these, you know, substantial incomes or, you know, solid incomes. I got rid of mine knowing we could exist on my husband's and then he lost his job. And so there we were with no income. My mom ended up getting cancer and I became her caretaker. And she eventually passed away over the course of three years. And during that journey, watching her I had to take care of her. She had certain things going on. She had surgeries and different things. She required care. And it was so hard for her to accept that care. So hard. And watching her, I saw myself. like, And I saw how painful it was for me to have to like work extra hard to take care of her, to like push past her resistance. So the first is I got to witness that. Then when she passed away, it was like all of a sudden I dealt with the fallout of what those years had been. My husband then got a job soon after she um, passed away. But all of a sudden we had all this debt. We had over $100,000 in debt. And I was really angry, like with God. I was like, WTF, like I have been nothing but good. Like I left banking to do my work in the world. I've supported my husband through this really difficult time. I've been taking care of my mother. I've got two toddlers at home and now I have all this debt. I wasn't off 
doing like, you know, spending wild amounts of money. We were paying for her care and keeping the lights on, you know, and I was very angry. And so I was like talking to my angels and I was like, explain this to me. Like, what did I do that was so wrong that I ended up in this place? And they said, debt isn't proof that you did something wrong. It's proof that you gave more than you had to give. Mm. And there was the moment. It, it took years to really like solidify the receiving concept and what I teach today. But that was the moment where suddenly I understood these symptoms of lack, whether it's lack of support or debt or whatever it is, is a symptom of giving more than you're receiving. Mm, thank you. Um, I just want to breathe with that for a moment. And thank you for being real <laughs> and sharing your story. Um, I think what it awakens in me is and I'm thinking about my story in particular is I'm seeing in your story, like you came to a place of overgiving. And what I recognized in my journey was as I became a new mom in 2012, that I had been depleted all my life, all my life of support. Um, meaning very specific emotional support because of the way that my parents grew up they were they didn't receive that kind of support and they didn't have the tools or the knowledge or the resources to have that kind of support themselves and I realized that I grew up in an environment similar to what you said like I couldn't rely on others to hold me and in fact it was frowned upon if my emotions were out of control I were make I was making them sad or upset my caregivers and it took me like leading up to the end of my 30s leading up to my 40s to realize okay something's gotta live, give because I can't do this life thing anymore without getting supported myself. So I started to reach out to healers I know. I started to um, work with a therapist. I started to create these resourcing things in my life, the crystal healing, the meditation, the walks outside, however it is. But it was that realization that um, just like you say, like big life events, like giving birth depleted me so much. But I was already depleted going into it. So it was like three times harder for me. And I call it energetic wounds, people living with energetic wounds who may not have received what they needed as children growing up were coming in already depleted. <laughs> so it takes like double the, um, the care, tenderness, the nourishment to get you to even to a level of um, just living comfortably in your, in your skin, in your life, which brings me to, I know one of the things you teach in your, in the receiving school, and I love that you've created a school for that, 
is the five pillars of receiving. Can you tell us briefly what they are? And then maybe we can pick one or two and dive deeper into it. Yeah. So the five pillars are, uh, the first is receive the outer world. And we can talk about what each of these mean, but I'll just name them first. Receive the outer world, receive yourself, clear space to make space, learn your language, and the 100% rule. And I'll just walk through how they all connect. So receive the outer world. If you're in, if you've invested in anything in manifestation courses or personal development, most likely you've been taught, you know, in order to bring abundance in, accept the things that are already being given to you, accept the compliments, accept the offers of help, right? Don't resist them. And so that's a piece of receiving the outer world. But a part that a lot of people don't talk about is that um, we're taught to reject or resist the things that are uncomfortable about the world. And the reason is that we're taught that if we allow them in, that somehow we're blessing them, we're affirming them, we're choosing to keep them, right? Like if you do a manifestation course, and I did this back when I had all this debt, which by the way, I've since we've climbed out of that debt. And it was doing opposite of what I had been taught was I visualized myself, you know, with lots of money, or I visualized the credit cards at zero balance. Now that works for a few people, but the reality is our brains are designed to operate in reality. And so you have to give your brain its healthy relationship to the world. And so for me coming out of debt, the very first step was accepting the debt. So it's receipt, it's not saying I want to keep it, but I have to look at it and acknowledge it's there, right? In order to release it. So that's what the receiving the outer world's about. It's receiving all the good that's coming to you when you're outside and you have a beautiful sunny day and there's fresh air, but you're so busy that you're not receiving that gift of the day. That's a piece of it is to stop and receive those gifts. But also when someone says something hurtful, it's not to say, oh, I'm not going to spend time with them. I'm not going to like, or I'm going to ignore it or try and like put it on my head. It's to let yourself feel the pain that their words made you feel because from that place of receptivity, then your soul can birth actions that take care of you. When you no longer deny the things that are harming you, then you can choose differently. And it gets you out of a cycle of staying in relationship to things that aren't good for you. So that's number one. Number two, which to me is like the juicy part of it is receive yourself. And that's because from a very young age, we're taught to reject ourselves. Just like you were taught that when you, you threw a temper tantrum, it wasn't okay. So the part of you that knew how to express anger or displeasure or upset was pushed away. It was taught that that part of you is bad. It's not socially acceptable. And what our brain starts to do is to carve out drawers that it shoves parts of ourself into that aren't socially acceptable. And when you start to allow those parts back in, what happens is you make better decisions for yourself. Because although throwing a temper tantrum in the middle of the mall might not be an appropriate thing for an adult to do, you do want to be able to say, you know what? I'm really angry right now. And when you're taught that that's not okay from a young age, it's actually really hard for you to access the truth 
about how you feel. And that truth guides your actions in a healthier way once you do start to allow those parts back in. And it can be as simple as, you know what? Like I'm, I have kids in high school, right? Like in the school system. So regularly I get asked like, can you volunteer for this? Can you fundraise for this? Can you do this? And I see lots of parents, especially mothers, because there's a social burden on mothers that's different than fathers and different than non-binary folks. Um, it, when someone sees someone and they perceive them to be a female parent, they expect them to do more. They just do. And most female appearing parents receive that messaging that somehow saying no to that stuff is bad. But the reality is my school system is out of control with the amount they expect mothers to do. It doesn't make sense. And so, you know what? Even being able to access the no becomes difficult if you've rejected the part of you that even has the ability to say no. Because if at a, as a kid, when you advocated for yourself, you were hit or demeaned, or you watched other people get hurt for standing up for themselves, you lock that part of it yourself away. And so now you're an adult and you're like, why can't I say no to people? Like, why do I keep saying yes when what I mean is no? And it's because this part of you that has that ability is actually in jail. It's in brain jail. And if you don't take it out and free it, it can't help you. So that's number two. The third one, so when people are doing this work in the receiving school or with me privately, that's heavy work. Those two are pretty big, heavy work. And there are a lot of like inner work, energetic work, mental. And by that point in the process, most brains crave a tangible experience. So the third pillar is clear space to make space, which means physically clearing things that no longer serve you. So it's decluttering, but from a soul level, it's letting go of something that you're holding onto out of guilt because someone gave it to you. It's not getting rid of clothes because you might need them someday. And it's not okay to give away things. It's wasteful, right? It's getting into an experience of only keeping what lights you up. Um, and then the fourth rule then is, okay, but then once you're through all of that, it can feel very disorienting. Like, yeah, okay, your soul's got all this information now, and now you're going to start doing things in the world differently, but that can feel very lonely. And so the fourth pillar, learn your language, is to understand how your spirit guides, the divine, um, your ancestors speak to you. So like, what do they specifically use? Like most people think, oh, intuitive gifts are clairvoyance. Like I can either see something or I can hear it. And if I don't see it or hear it, then I don't have real gifts. But no, our team talks to us in like all these different ways. And you agree to a unique language. And so accepting your language and learning your language then allows you to be communicated with on a daily basis. And then once you're through that, then the question is, okay, now that I've learned to receive, how do I know when I can give? Like, how can I know when I do take action? Like, how do I keep myself from getting back to this depleted state? And that's the 100% rule. And that shows you body signals that tell you when you're in the flow, when you're giving from a soul place, or when you're over giving from an ego place. So um, I know that was a lot. Uh, not at all. That was fabulous. Thank you. 
<laughs> there's there's a lot in there. I think I want to touch upon two places and then we'll go third. But the first one is when you mentioned the receiving the outer world, what I'm finding myself where where I'm finding myself in now is um being where I am as I let the other people be where they are or be who they are. Um and to me. And then the second part becomes of that deciding where and how to get my needs met. Because if a particular person, my mom and dad or, or someone in my life isn't willing, ready or able to give me what I need, I'm still responsible to get that need met in other ways. And I think for me, moving from um, or or being in touch with these two things was moving away from being angry at someone because of what they're not versus accepting where, where they are and who they are and realizing, okay, like parts of that work for me, but this particular one where I'm not getting my emotional needs met doesn't work for me. And I'm not asking you to change, but I'm uh, willing, ready, able, and dedicated to meet that need met for myself. Um, and I think that goes hand in hand with um, a lot of what you talked about, knowing yourself, your limits, your language of not just receiving, but depletion and realizing what your needs might be mm -hmm. and also entering into this different relationship with the outer world also brings you face to face in my experience with your inner world where you can say okay like these are the things I am not ready willing or able to give others but if it's something someone in my life um, like my pet my kid my you know close relationships um like how can I make sure that they're aware of my limitations as well so that we can find a place where they get what they need without me de being depleted all the time mm -hmm. um so this is what's going through my head um I think I want to understand how you look at that part about um, your needs and how you go about meeting your needs in this particular framework. Yeah. So the way that I like to approach it that I think simplifies it, or it makes it a bit more um, tangible or specific for people is not to approach it from, okay, how do I have my needs met? It's to start with, I have needs. And is that safe for me? Is it safe for me to have needs? Because until it's safe within yourself to have needs, you can know you have needs. You can have done work with therapists or um, even healers and come to an awareness that my needs are not being met and they need to be met. 
But if it doesn't feel safe to have those needs met, you won't ever get there. So the, the question I put to people when that comes up is, if I said to you, you're a needy person, what does that do to you? Does it sort of make you your skin crawl? Like, is it like, uh, I don't want someone to say I'm needy? Like, that's really uncomfortable for me. And it, most people will say, yeah, that's really uncomfortable. Like, needy, irresponsible, and selfish. These are the three rejected selves that I find are the most common among women. Um, and, and men too, but I find women tend to overgive more than men. So if, if I was to say you're selfish, if I was to say you're irresponsible, if I was to say you're needy, and this is for anyone listening, does that make you upset? Like, do you not want that label? That reactivity you have to the label says that within you, it's unsafe to take care of yourself, to have needs to not always be responsible for the world. And so how do you bring back in what your brain has defined as the needy self? That's the first step to doing it. It's not to go have your needs met from the outside in. It's first to accept and find safety in having needs. Um. So before I jump, I can tell you kind of the exercise that we do to, to do that rejected self-work, but does this like make sense? Is it answering kind of where you wanted the conversation to go? Keep going. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> so um, inside the receiving school, we have quizzes. So you do a quiz to kind of like check off, like I feel overwhelmed 90% of the time. I'm often exhausted, like different questions like this. And then the quiz kind of tells you which of these three rejected selves are the most damaging to you right now, to your energy levels, or which of these is like sucking more out of you. So you pick one. Well, we're going to pick needy. So, um, if you're if you're focusing on receiving the part of you that's needy, what you want to do is actually go and actively ask, identify needs and actively seek for those to be met, which is some of the work that you're talking about doing, right? You're like suddenly realizing my needs aren't being met by this person. They have to get met somewhere else. But you're talking about really important needs. It's easier to actually start working on not so important needs. Like you go to the grocery store and you ask someone to bring your, your groceries to your car. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. You can totally bring your groceries by yourself, but now you have to like ask someone for help. And it's working with those smaller levels of asking for and receiving help and then watching the emotions that come up and working with those emotions, breathing through them, letting them have space and identifying what is feeling for you uncomfortable. Because as you start to bring it up to your awareness, and then the, se the second part and the most important part is to share it with someone else. So I used to do this work only one-on-one. -on -one, and the reason I opened the receiving school is I realized that our brains are always fearing rejection. So 
it's important for us to do this work in community because it actually makes our brains feel safer. But even if you're not doing it in the community of the receiving school, is just telling another person that is of the same mindset that this is what's going on for you. This is what you're feeling so that they can come back to you and go, I get it. And I'm not, and just by their presence, they're basically telling you, and I'm not going to abandon you for having needs. Does this make sense? Um, yes. I think a couple things are, I hear what you're saying. I think for me, it's less about allowing myself to have needs. I know I, I like I can feel <laughs> the need. It's more about two things. One of them being um, what you mentioned, reaching out to someone else mm-hmm. to get that need met in some in some way and then the second one one is realizing okay there are these resources inside of me and some of them are not gonna go beyond a certain limit like my nervous system responses regardless of how much I get my needs met Mm -hmm. at that point it becomes a negotiation or a communication route of letting my loved ones know, like, I can't go to the park with you today. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't do the shopping today because my nervous system isn't up for it. Yeah. So it's not only getting the needs met, but knowing my needs will never be met 100%. And being in touch with that and being... um a communicator of that. I imagine myself with these different gauges, like my love level might be up at 99, but my physical might be down at 44 or whatever. So that means no matter how much I love someone, I'm not going to be, you know, running this errand for them. Like you mentioned the school thing. So it's managing all these different levers and um, resources inside of me to say, Yes, I have the needs. And then sometimes it even takes effort to reach out for the help. And sometimes I don't have that effort in me. <laughs> you know, I think I'm hearing all of what you say. Um, the small things, I love what you're saying. But then for me, it's always about being about the more bigger energetic things giving myself the space for receiving, not just the, not the physical most of the time, but the more energetic things. And I think that's fair too, because what we're talking about can't be done when you're in any level of crisis. And crisis is, like you said, the levers down here physically, or, you know, it's up here with love, but the, the reason it's down here physically is maybe you ran a marathon yesterday, right? It's reasonable that, and whatever a marathon is for you, a literal marathon, or maybe you just like you were doing stuff all day. And so today is a physical repletion, right? You're depleted. And so now it's a fill up day, which means there's nothing to give out. And that's fair. The thing that comes at that point when you're like, you're in a depleted state is can your depletion be 
the primary focus of your attention. And most of us are taught that that's selfish. That if your kids have a need and you're depleted, that you should overcome your depletion and take care of them. And that's just wrong. It's actually not accurate. And so it's, are you willing for other people to be disappointed for you to fully care for yourself? Because I can tell you when you're in full receptivity and I do not stay in this place like 100% of the time, but I can get back there. You don't end up with a low physical, like you end up with energy each day. You, you have enough to give based on what you want to give might not be what everyone else wants from you, but you always have, you're not in a state of regrouping your energy on a regular basis. So, you know, it is different when you have pets that are ill, aging parents that really can't help themselves, young children that really can't help themselves. That That's some of the most difficult relationships to be in because it really does feel that if you do not meet their need, their need won't be met. And that ends up putting us in a cycle of giving beyond our capabilities. But it's actually stopping exactly when we're done and then allowing for their needs to not be met and then watching what happens and sitting with that fear that is the shift. Because back when my mom was sick, there was no one that could tell me I couldn't keep going. I mean, I went without sleep for a full week almost towards the end of her life. And I had to have a relative come in and go, you can't do this anymore. I couldn't even hear it. I couldn't hear it because if I wasn't doing it, then who was like, who would give her her morphine? What if she woke, you know, there were just all these thoughts, but it's false programming. It's false programming. And when we have beings that we're taking care of, we have to allow for faith that their needs can be met, even if we can't figure out how that might happen, including not feeding your kids. Now, I'm not talking about letting them go hungry. I'm talking about not building them a meal the way you think they need to have a meal. Like it might look like them having cereal for dinner so you can continue resting or um, them not getting to go to the park, even though you know play is good for them, right? Like it's you filling up first and only giving from that overflow. Um, I hear you, especially the part about there are certain situations where it's a little trickier to say, let me go <laughs> and rest um, which brings me to another thing you talk in your work is, um, embracing laziness. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you tell a little bit about that? Yes. And you know what I had said, needy is one of the three rejected cells we work with. And actually it's lazy because that's really, that's the word we use. And so, you know, when we're younger, and actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about how these mental concepts kind of end up being built in our brains, because to me, the brain science behind it is really important. When you understand like why your brain is doing the things you, they're doing and how it's functionally doing it, 
why you need to unwork it the way you need to unwork it makes more sense. So when we're small, we learn things in very big macro concepts. Like you probably remember your um, child when it used to see a car or a truck or a tractor, it was all like a single word. It might call it might call them all cars or all trucks, but in a child's mind, all things that moved with wheels were one thing, right? And as it gets, as the child gets a little bit older, it starts to understand that cars are one thing, trucks are another. So it's basically building file folders inside the drawer of moving vehicles that separates out things, right? That's what helps us create nuanced understanding of the world as we grow. But the way that those file folders get created is as the child gets a little bit older and calls a car a truck, an adult, a loving adult ideally says, actually, no, that's a car. This is a truck. And here's why they're different, right? And as the child gets older and understands that, it creates the difference between them. But what happens when we develop a concept around lazy, and that's one of the first ones we get from when we're little, is the child observes maybe a parent resting on the couch and the other parent says, oh my God, you're being lazy, get up. And it makes them angry. But there's all this stuff going on in the marriage that that child doesn't understand that feeds into that, right? All they see is Resting on the couch equals lazy equals a parent I love being mad, right? Now they get a little bit older and maybe their parent expected them to do chores, but they're just tired or they don't feel like it's important and they're like, screw it. And they're like watching TV and the parent says, oh my God, you're so lazy and they blow up, right? And over and over and over, any form of rest just stays as one large file cabinet of lazy. The child doesn't get fed information that, like when you see that child on the couch, most parents won't go, look, if I understand you're tired, but if these things don't get done, here's the repercussion, get this done, and then it's perfectly okay for you to lay on the couch. Or even better yet, Talk to me about why you need to rest right now instead of doing the things I need you to do. Very rarely do us as parents have the patience to start having those nuanced conversations. And so from a small age, we only have one folder and it's lazy and it's everything that looks like rest. We don't get taught how to divide different types of rest into different experiences. So then all of a sudden we're an adult and anything that looks like rest is lazy and lazy is bad and lazy is unsafe. And so we need to actually experience rest in lots of different ways and start to create those nuanced file folders for ourselves. And the way we do it is when we rest, when we feel the need and all of a sudden the next day, we're able to be more playful with our kids. We're able to produce better at work. We finally have a breakthrough on that thing we were stuck on. Then all of a sudden there's a file folder that says productive rest and it separates out productive rest from laziness. But you have to face the fear of resting when it doesn't feel responsible in order to develop that nuanced thinking and then to be able to rest more easily as you move forward. I think what I'm hearing you say is coming to a place where rest is safe. 
having needs is safe. Reaching out for help for your needs is safe. And receiving that way is safe. And even changing your language around them um, and the way you have connected, made your connections inside about these things. Um, that's a lot of work. And I love that you said that because all of it, when you don't have something in your life the way you want it to be, like, you know, your needs aren't being met. It, and it may not be from a person. Like, it's like, I'm running this business. I'm working really hard and I'm not getting the inflow of clients. Divine, why are you screwing with me, right? Like that can be a need that's not being met. Anytime we have a lack show up in our life, we look for the reason why, who, what is not feeding us properly. But if we, in our mind go, okay, wait a second, something is off balance here. It's off balance because it's unsafe for it to be in balance. If we immediately go, okay, because it doesn't feel logical. Nope. A lot more money would feel a lot safer. Like being able to pay my bills feels a lot safer than not being able to pay my bills. Right. You know, back when I was in debt, not having debt feels way safer than having debt. But underneath, there is some, some confusion about safety that's at play. And that is the key because when you make yourself safe, that's when you can receive fully. And it is a lot of work. It is. It, and it takes a lot of courage because you're constantly facing things that are going to make you feel like you're putting yourself your relationships, the people you love at risk, but you're not. And once you actually face that fear and you get on the other side of it, all of a sudden everything's fine. It's usually better than fine. And you're like, wait a second. Why did I think that was real? Like when I look back, it was so illogical that I was the only one that could stay up with my mother. I mean, so illogical. Like, like I can see that here, but the me then, did not trust anyone else to keep my mother out of pain. Yeah, the not overgiving didn't feel safe to you. Right. right. I think what you just said is like the biggest abundance, money, <laughs> whatever people want to receive kind of um, wisdom right there of realizing, okay, something else is going on here. Let me see what is not making me feel safe. Yeah. Um, I want to know what you're learning right now in your life and in your business that brings you back to back in touch with that resistance and not feeling safe. <laughs> oh, I got a good one for you. So that's no problem. <laughs> good. Now, please, God, by the time all of you are watching this interview, which is going to be long after we've recorded it. I please just email me and find out, am I still telling this story? Because God help me if I am. But at this moment, while we record this, I have come into a, um, for lack of a better word, a spiritual desert. And so every single one of us that is a light worker, that is here as a messenger, that is here to anchor light on the planet. And we're not all here for that. But my guess is if you're drawn to this interview and Damla, like if you are drawn to her, that you're, it's because you're a light worker, right? It's because you're more likely to be wounded when you're full of light and you're here to anchor light. It's the unfortunate conundrum we're all in. 
Well, when you are that, you will at times face what's called, you know, what I'm calling a desert. But, you know, just like Jesus spent 40 days in the desert, the Buddha spent years feeling lost, right? It's this period of time where things that normally sustain you, your ability to see what's up ahead, your ability to visualize a future or set a goal and have faith that you can actually move towards it. All of a sudden, the floor kind of falls out from underneath you. And for me, it's it was it's the spiritual sustenance that isn't working for me. Normally, when I get a sign, when I get a message, when I hear my spirit team, even when the future is foggy, it it buoys me, like it 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 sustains me, and it's not working. And it's put me in a very wobbly place from a faith standpoint. So I have this conundrum of, I have total and complete faith in the divine and everything I'm talking about right now. And it feels really, really, really uncomfortable. And am I willing to receive that discomfort? Am I willing to receive not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day? Am I willing to take a baby step in faith and in the morning say my prayer of divine use me and trust that what I've accomplished in that day, I really did live up to what I was supposed to do when I feel kind of useless without the navigation of what's coming. And I'm in that place. And I know I'm here because Things were actually working really well. And so my ego got kind of attached to things working well and it powered up. And, you know, at points in our life, we are going to be fed a desert, some version of a desert and yours may be a day or a week. It may actually be 40 days like Jesus or years like the Buddha or whoever. It sucks. And so it's, are you willing to walk your walk your talk or talk your walk, whatever it is. And that's where I am right now. You know, it is, um, that's, that's where it is for me. And it's scary. It feels incredibly scary. But when I look at what is sustaining me, it's being of service to others. So when I can no longer receive it myself, I am finding I can receive it through others. Um, and that sounds like overgiving, but in this case, it's not. It's now I'm understanding the relationship to how giving can be receiving. And that's a whole new level of learning. Maybe I'll even have a new school available by the time this interview comes out. <laughs> Like, okay, you got, you got the receiving down. Good job, Patty. All right. Now we're going to just like rip that shit away from you. And let's see what, what you do with this stuff. I but it is the only thing that helps me right now is to give someone else solace in their fear and in their doubt that is filling me. And so that's good, but it's scary. I, I love, thank you for being real. First of all. I mean, there's this illusion that as a light worker, your life's going to be peachy. It's not. It's actually the opposite. 
of welcoming even more discomfort and wrestling with that. At the same time, Patty, what I'm seeing in you is just the realization of that little girl's dream mm -hmm. of giving people hope through reminding them that love is available and you receiving that through them. So thank you for bringing us full circle <laughs> with that. <laughs> and um, yeah, this was fabulous. I, I, I loved, I loved chatting with you. Um, is there, is there a way for people to find you to um, find out more about your, your receiving school? Tell us, tell us more about that. Yes. So if you think that receiving school is, um, you know, a possibility of, of, for you, I think we're in a time, you know, the old way I used to do things is to give people the sales page, which you're welcome to go to it. It's the receiving school.com. But I really think we're all looking for more intimacy in our relationships. And so if you think that the receiving school sounds like something you need, by all means, go check it out, but feel free to just email me or email my team and, you know, ask me questions. Um, my email is patty at pattylennon.com. So you're just welcome to do that. At the moment we're recording this, I really hope it shifts, but at the moment we're recording it, I'm not spending a significant amount of time live in social media, which I used to do. A lot of our posts are like pre-recorded things because social media is social media. Um, receiving school is my core program, but there's lots of other things always going on that I'm doing either live or that you can tap into. That's like a smaller level. One of the things that, you know, is great is I have an Oracle card deck called space for magic oracle card deck so these are oracle cards which to me are like awesome awesome tools and that's on my website um i think my the place i would recommend you start is to go to a quiz that i have that we spent months creating because we really did want it to be something that would feed the person that invested in the 10 questions so if you go to pattylennon.com forward slash quiz um, the results of that quiz will show you what your secret soul power is. And this is really, what is the way you interact with the world? Not everyone interacts with the world from a soul level at the same, from the same place, from the same doorway, from the same magic. And when you take that quiz, you will then get resources from me to um, grow from that place of your own personal purpose and soul power and personal magic. So that's that to me is is where to start. Beautiful. So I'm gonna include the links for that. Um, thank you, Petty, for all that you do and all that you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Conversations with Healers. If this episode spoke to you in any way, please leave a review or comment like or love it and share it with others in your life. This is a true soul love project from my heart to yours. I really appreciate your help in spreading the word. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and check out other episodes to listen to some extraordinary healing stories and advice. Have a beautiful and wonderful day.